So Jesus withdraws to the cities of Tyre and Sidon, to Gentile cities to the north of Israel. That region was called Phoenicia, and its inhabitants especially did not like the Jews. So why did Jesus retire to this place? And if you remember this past two Sundays, Jesus first tried to seek some solitude and prayer and reflection after Herod had beheaded John the Baptist. But people followed him to the desert, so he took pity on them, taught them, healed them, and multiplied fish and loaves for them. Then he went up to the mountain to pray, but his disciples were struggling with the storm in the boat, so he went to them walking on the waters. When they arrived at the shore in Gennesaret, people found out, and they all went to see him, and they brought to him all those who were sick, says the gospel. So again, another full day of engaging with crowds. So now Jesus makes sure that he will have time to pray, to discern, to process, and to be with his disciples. So he goes to a place where people would not know who he was, where people would not, would not care about him. As soon as he gets there, a woman shows up. She knew who Jesus was. Maybe she had been in Israel. Maybe someone told her about Jesus. But she approaches Jesus and she says, Have pity on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is tormented by a demon. So she knows how to approach Jesus. She knows that he is merciful, that he's compassionate. So she begins by saying, have pity on me. Have mercy on me. And then she calls him Lord, a strong word that only disciples of Jesus used with him. She was not a disciple. She was not an Israelite. But she uses that word. And it made me think that we all appreciate somehow to be addressed with respect, don't we, somehow? The other day I was driving in the freeway and there was a car accident, so I pulled my car to the side. I stepped down, went to see if I was needed. I was not needed, but the man who was driving the ambulance said to me, thank you, Father. And I was happy because he addressed me in that way. And then I was laughing about myself that it was so easy to please me. <laughs> but we all are uh, somehow happy to, you know, to be addressed with, with respect. And, and this is what she did with the Lord. She called him Lord. But then on top of that, she said, son of David. She was using a title that would honor any Jew. It was like saying, you are the son of the most loved and revered king of Israel. You are the son of the king. And mind you that David was a king that had defeated all surrounding people. So it was not an easy title for her to use. And then she, after all that, addressing the Lord that way, she says, please heal my daughter. I think we have a first practical lesson for us here, no? In Spanish, we have a saying that goes something like this, praise the fool and he will do what you want. And Jesus was not fool, obviously, but she wants something from him. 
So she begins by trying to win his, his, you know, his respect by addressing him in the proper, proper way, with honor, with, with care, in a way that he, a Jew, would understand. She doesn't mind using the expressions that would be difficult to pronounce for someone of his people. She's a Phoenician. She just wants him to heal her daughter. That's all she cares about. So she uses the proper words. And I think this is a practical lesson that we can take in our you know, interactions with others. To be humble, to be astute, to be wise if we want someone to somehow collaborate with us in some project. Surprisingly, Jesus does, does not answer her. Not a word. He keeps quiet. Why? Why does Jesus keep quiet? Well, first, he did, if he did a miracle in that situation, goodbye to solitude, silence, and time with his apostles, with time of fellowship, as soon as people would find out of a miracle like that, they would come swarming like bees to him, you know, what happened wherever he went. But most importantly, I think above that, Jesus had in his heart what St. Augustine calls an ordo amoris, an order in his love. He knew that he was sent to speak first to the chosen people of Israel, with whom God had a covenant. Salvation was to be for all, but was meant to begin with the Jews. It was meant to be like a stone that you throw into the water in expanding circles. And the good news of the kingdom had to be preached to the whole world, but had to begin with the chosen people of Israel. So Jesus' mission was to begin with them. He knew that. So he said that, no, my, my, my mission is to preach to lost children of Israel. This is what St. Paul is speaking about in the second reading. He says that because Israel as a whole, as a people, rejected the Messiah, there were many Jews that believed, but as a people rejected him, then because of that rejection, the, the good news of the kingdom was announced to the Gentiles. St. Paul says, if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead. In other words, we Gentiles, not Jews, receive the good news that was destined in the first place for them. But they will receive it in God's time because God is faithful. And St. Paul says, for the gifts and the call of God are irrevocable. They are still the chosen people of God. God has not forgotten, forgotten his chosen people. He has something special for them that is a mystery. We don't know, but we know because it's in the Bible. In any case, going back to the gospel, Jesus knew that if he began to minister among the Gentiles, that would have upset the Jews. They were not yet prepared to see something like that. You know, Jesus performing miracles, thousands of Gentiles, coming to him and him staying with them, they were not prepared for that. That would have upset the mission that he had first to Israel. So he's silent. 
he cannot explain everything or he cannot explain so much in that moment. So he's silent because the woman would not understand. How do you, how do you explain to a woman whose daughter needs to be healed? No, I cannot do this because you are not a Jew. You're a Gentile. I have a mission. You cannot explain that. So he's silent. He doesn't attempt. But then his disciples say to him, do something for her because she keeps calling us out. And he says to them, I can't. I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He holds his ground. And I think this is another lesson for us. You know, there are many good things that we could do in life. But we need to know what are the good things that we are called to do. What is our own call, our own mission. For example, I am a missionary of the new evangelization, and I work as a chaplain with AU students, among other things. So I, don't, I do not run a food pantry, for example. That's something great, I very needed, but that's not my mission in this moment. I could do that, but it's not what, is, what God is calling me to do. And you, I'm sure you can come up with many examples like this. Each one of us, we all have something that God is calling us to do and to do well, and to do with love, with dedication. But every yes that we say to God comes with many no's. We say no to other things that we could do that are also very good and very important. Every yes comes with many no. And every no is for the strength of a yes that we say to God and that somehow we say to others. Jesus had his mission, was limited mission, it was to be universal, but in his lifetime had a limit. So he said, no, I cannot do this. But she insists. She's determined. So she goes to him. She, you know, bridges the apostles and goes to him. And then in front of her insistence, Jesus has these very disconcerting words. It is not right to take the food of the children and throw it to the dogs. I did some research here because he uses a strong analogy, doesn't he? So the literal word that he uses in the Greek is more, should be translated more like pet. For example, the Spanish Bible translates cachorro. That means like a little dog. It's a little more friendly than, than dog. But in any case, it's a tough analogy. We cannot, you know, we cannot just avoid it. So let's try to understand it. I think what he means is, I'm sure you have been in a situation like this when you are, let's say, having dinner with a family, and then this dog comes and is poking you with his nose. He wants some food from, from, from the table. No, so he's moving his tail and he wants to be fed. You're not giving him food from the table because you are invited in that. You don't want to do that. But then someone from the family throws something to the dog and the dog eats and I think at least, wow, this dog is eating our, you know, our same food. There's something improper with that, at least I think, I don't know. Maybe you think it's great. But in any case, I, that is, that is the, type of the that, that type of situation that, 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 he, that Jesus is describing. I'm sitting with my children here first. I cannot feed someone who does not belong to the table, but it's still part of the family somehow. It's still 
part of the scene. I have to do this first. So, you know, given those words, she could have said, fine, keep your miracle, who wants it? And turn around, but she doesn't. She just takes it in very humbly, and she says, but I'm sure, Lord, even the dogs eat the scraps that fall from the table of their masters. I'm sure you have something for me. Come on, you can do this. No? And Jesus is amazed. He said, great is your faith, woman. Great is your faith. Let it be done as you wish. And her daughter was healed in that moment. So regardless of all his motive for not doing the miracle, he finally cannot help it and heals her daughter. You know, in, in the gospel, we see two women forcing Jesus, forcing, quote-unquote, but somehow pushing him very hard to do a miracle that he did not want to do, something that Herod couldn't do. Remember when Jesus was, you know, in chains in front of Herod, Herod said, do a little miracle here in front of me and I will let you, set you free. And he did not. And then Pilate asked for the same thing. Come on, do something, say something, perform, give me an excuse and I will let you go. And he doesn't. So not even those, these two very powerful men could force Jesus to do a miracle. But these two women were able. The first, of course, was his mother Mary in Kenya. And the second one is this woman that we don't even know the name. And she was a Gentile woman. She was not even a Jew. But in her humility, in her faith, in her determination, he somehow mysteriously changes his, you know, the, his, his decision, so to say. So there are many lessons that we can draw from, from, from this scene, I think. You know? But let's wrap it up in, in this. We all have an ordo amoris, we, or, or we should have at least, this clarity of what is my mission, who are the people that I'm called to serve in the first place, what is it that I'm called to do for them, am I being dispersed in many menial things instead of focusing on, on what I can do, or the other way around, am I too you know, fixed in just serving this group of people that I would not be flexible in any case, just like, just like Jesus was flexible given the situation. But it is important to have this ordo amoris. And then the second lesson is this insistence in prayer. She's speaking to the Lord. She's praying and she's insisting. She doesn't give up. And, you know, for many reasons, God wants us to insist. In the gospel, it's very clear. You know, knock, seek, and you will find. Knock and it will be open. And, and, you know, the Lord offers many analogies where he is very clear that it's important to, to insist and to trust and to try one way and to try in another way. And it's not that God is playing with us. It's that that process of insisting and trying with faith um, makes us, changes, purifies us and makes us stronger and opens our heart to receive the you know, the, the, the gift that God can and want to give us. Let us learn from this woman of faith, of, of humble heart, of determination, of love.